This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, this is Hannah Forden. I'm the program manager here at Heritage Radio Network. This year, we're celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary, and I want to thank all of our listeners and members for being a part of an incredible year of food radio. We never would have made it this far without all of you. So HRN is now in its summer fun drive, and this is when we turn to you and ask that you make a donation to help ensure a bright future for food radio. Whether you listen to one show or 20, there's a reason why you keep tuning in week after week. All of our content is powered by a small nonprofit, and we rely on your generosity to keep going. Help us keep broadcasting the most thought-provoking, entertaining, and educational conversations happening in the world of food and beverage. So become a member today. To celebrate our 10th anniversary, we have some brand new member gifts available online, so I encourage you to snag your new favorite pizza-themed t-shirt or enamel pin today and show the world how much you love HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate so you can snag your 10th anniversary member swag. And thank you. Hello and welcome to Why Food, a podcast about innovators, entrepreneurs, and career changers who make up the food and beverage industry. I'm your co-host, Ethan Frisch, and I have some uh, exciting news that may not be so surprising to regular listeners. We've been, we've been doing this in kind of a sneaky way, so you might, you might have a suspicion that this was coming. Uh, unfortunately, Jenny has uh, moved on to new and exciting adventures on the West Coast, and so is not going to be co-hosting the show with me anymore, and I'm sad to see her go, but uh, I'm really looking forward to following her adventures uh, in California, which you can do as well, at Chef Jenny Dorsey on Instagram. Um, but I have a new co-host. Uh, you may have heard her voice on recent episodes. She was the guest co-host on our episode last week, and we interviewed her about a month ago as a full episode. Um, so Valerie uh, Lomas is our, our our new our new co-host. I don't know, Valerie. Thanks for thanks for jumping into this with me. Yeah, Ethan. Um, I'm excited to you know uh, be a part of this podcast. Uh, I think we both obviously um, have a lot in common as career changers and as people who have you know peddled everything from ice cream to French macaroons. And I'm excited to be here with you each week and yeah. talking to other amazing. Um, dedicated, passionate food people. And speaking of dedicated and uh, passionate food people, we have a, a double header for you this week, uh, Jenny Laux and Kent Laux, uh, who are the founders of Encore Cambodian Foods. Jenny is the chef and founder, and Kent uh, is the general manager, and you're also married, right? That's right. Uh, so that's always, it's always fun having uh, co-founders and a couple because uh, you know the conversation there's there's just a lot of a lot of dynamics in that relationship as I'm sure we'll get into um, so tell us just to kind of kick off the conversation what is Encore Cambodian Foods and how did you wind up starting it well Encore Cambodian Food uh, making remaking a lot of Cambodian cooking paste condiments that are essential in Cambodian kitchen and um, before I started this company I was working as an engineer for 
30 years in the Silicon Valley. And I work with the uh, aerospace industry as well as biotech industry. And um, about, about nine years ago, uh, when my mom passed away, I have um, time that I reflect on what I'm doing and reflect on her life, how she had uh, overcome challenges and, um, you know, creating her own triumph. Her life, you know, as when she grew up in Cambodia, she uh, never had a single day at school. And then when she turned 14, her, uh, both of her parents passed away. And being a young girl at that time in, in Cambodia, there's no social program to help her. So she spent all of her uh, young adult li life uh, moving from home to home and help people uh, keep their house and cooking for them. And, you know, ever since I grew up and learned about her story, I was always admire what she had done and how strong she had become. You know, she's the one that actually uh, keep us all humane under the Khmer Rouge. You know, she's um, allow us to, the way she treated us and uh, fighting for us allow us to have keep the dignity as a human being. Um, and the fact that, you know, she lost uh, a lot and then came here as a single mom, raising four children, and all of us become uh, engineer and shop owner. All of those that she gone through, nobody know anything about her. So when she passed away, I felt like I want to do something in honor of her. So I, um, uh, it didn't come naturally, actually. You know, it just happened that the same time our daughter was in uh, starting college, and after like uh, three months in, in the dorm, she called me up and she said, Mom, can you uh, make the hot sauce that Grandma used to make? I'm like, oh, you know, and I almost cried that instant request that she had for me. And, and I said, it just kind of jumped on me that, you know, maybe that's it, because Mom never had any education, nothing that people were really impressed about. But she had this uh, uh, was amazing cook. And when she make hot sauce, she doesn't make like a few jars. She make big batch. Mm. And I was help her doing that all the time. And I remember used to complain, why you have to make so much? You know? <laughs> but she make that big batch and she give it to uh, friends and family. And uh, anybody call up and say, my hot sauce is out. And she's like, make another big batch. So when she was with us, we never have, we never had to buy hot sauce. So when my daughter asked for it, I felt like that moment that that's what I want to do, carry on her, her legacy of sharing food. Yeah, and I mean, you're actually, I mean, you obviously you now own this line of condiments that's really successful, but you're also now an author and you published a memoir, uh, Short Hair Detention, in 2017. And yeah. I imagine you kind of got to share that legacy and tell a little bit more of your story and history in that memoir as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that memoir was something that I always wanted to get, you know, I always wanted to finish. And, you know, surviving the Khmer Rouge under four year, a lot of starvation and sickness and hard labor um, separated from my family. I remember many times that when I go through any 
huge adversity. I told myself as a young girl that uh, if I ever make it out alive, I want to make sure that my future children know what happened to us, what we've gone through. And then when I came here in 79 in Lincoln, Nebraska, I didn't, you know, didn't know any English, so that hope was just kind of disappeared. Mm. And um, even my own language, Khmer, I was rusty because I spent four years without any school, just labor camp, day after day, and starving and sickness. So it was uh, one of my bucket lists that I want to finish the book. And um, it just happened that uh, three years ago, when I lost my job from the corporate world, instead of jump back and looking for the next job, I decided um, to, to work on my bucket list. And that was you know, to complete the book before I go back to the corporate world. But uh, one thing led to another. After I finished the book, I was um, you know, busy with the food business that I started nine years ago. So. Would you, I mean, we obviously encourage all of our listeners to, to go out and buy the book and read the book. Uh, would you give? Would you share with us a little bit about uh, your experience growing up under the Khmer Rouge and, and uh, some of some of the, the topics that you cover in the book? Yeah, um, I wrote the book um, uh, in, from a perspective of a young girl, and not as I am right now, but as what she had gone through during that time. And uh, um, for example, I uh, just the name of the book should tell the and a lot of uh, what it's all about. And it, it reco- I decided to name it Short Hair Detention because um, I'm trying to communicate to a young adult growing up, growing up in this country to understand the meaning of freedom, uh, especially to like teenager in grade school. You know, when that happened, I was 13 years old, that um, if you don't understand the meaning of freedom, just imagine that even the length of your hair being controlled by the government. And for me, uh, when I was taken away from my parent going into my first labor camp, they told me that uh, all girls have to get your hair cut. And you know, after going through the first season of starvation, when I talk about starvation, it's like, you know, people can have a pretty good idea what it feels like, like just you're, hung, you're hungry all the time, and you're losing weight. You uh, can't think of anything. You eat anything. But the fact that, you know, the, the intimate thing that you actually feel, you know, you feel like your stomach is ingested itself, and you wish that you die instead of suffering another day of not having anything to eat. But anyway, all of that, you know, when... After gone through all of that, and when they told me that I had to keep my, I had to cut my, they they gonna cut my hair. I was thinking, it shouldn't matter, right? But it did. It hit me really hard because before they tell me that, I still have hope that someday I'll go get a chance to see my parent again. But when I heard that, all the hope that I had was just gone. It just felt like, what else are they gonna do to me? I don't even have choice to control my body. So all that hope I had was just gone. And then I spent four years under the Khmer Rouge. Um, so, so what happened is when they lined up all my friends to get a haircut, they didn't cut my hair because my hair was already short to begin with. Mm-hmm. In that instant, I felt like, you know, a little win, like a triumph that 
even if they want to control me, the situation didn't allow them to control me. And right then I felt like they cannot control me 100%. But um, on top of it, it just all related to hair as a young girl, you know. Uh, I always want to keep long hair, but my mom said, you're not uh, old enough to care for your hair, so she's always cut my hair. So all of this thing related to being a young girl, want to keep long and beauty, beautiful hair. And I spent four years in uh, communist uh, Khmer Rouge. My hair not never grow, mm. not even an inch. It actually it stopped growing. Stopped growing. Wow. Yeah, and it, it's it's real. I mean, your story is it's really inspiring um, to have to have survived that and to have come to America as a refugee and end up in Lincoln, Nebraska, not knowing English. Um, and, you know, in, I, I believe in the memoir, you kind of talk a little bit about how you end up, um, you know, sitting in this little library and and learning the consonants and vowels, yeah. and putting the words together. <laughs> and then you then you end up getting a master's of science in applied mathematics and yeah. are working in the tech industry for, was it 30 years? 30 years. Yeah. Um, so. In the aerospace and the biotech. You know, it's uh, when we came here, many Cambodian refugees came here. We, we came here uh, surviving the genocide. So we completely lost everything and had nothing to bring here except, you know, a smile and bare hand. And, and it just, after you've gone through that, everything is heaven. You know, and when they told me to, that I have to go to school, I was like, okay, I understand. I have to learn English somehow. But then they told me that I have to go to school with the American kid. I was just like, become almost like nauseated. I was going to throw up. I said, did they know what we've been through for the last four years? Because I didn't, you know, not to mention English, but even my own language. I never really learned anything. They, I never write any words down. And now that in this new country, new system, and we were told to go to high school. <laughs> but I, I also, you know, they, they also told us that that's the law of the land. You have to go to high school. Otherwise, uh, for your age, it's, you're breaking the law. And have, having survived, you know, under the control of the Khmer Rouge, you never challenge authority. So to me, and, and then I realized that, you know, that's all I have to do, doing homework. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like just one thing after another. And, you know, uh, a lot of my um, ESL teacher, teacher, English as a second language, they were, you know, very welcoming me here. And it was just a, a great opportunity, just one thing after another. And Kent, uh, how did how did you meet? Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you and Chenny met. I um, I grew up in Nebraska, also, so um, I did what um, most young boys and girls do in, in Nebraska is go to University of Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we had a couple of classes that we, uh, we shared together, and um, so I think I annoyed her at first, and then uh, we started to. <laughs> have a relationship after that so uh, but uh, yeah it was it was great and you also went on to have a career in in tech and and are also very involved in the food business was food uh important for you growing up or, or is that something you've adopted uh, as an adult well i had um, when i was very young i i people would say what do you want to do and i said i want to be a chef not really knowing much because uh uh maybe because i was all 
working hard as a farm boy, you're always hungry and mom's food's the best and you want to, you know, do what mom does. Um, that never really happened. I, I didn't turn into be a chef, but I really appreciate great food. Uh, with the tech industry, I, I was fortunate to travel the world and um, enjoy food, you know, at very re nice restaurants all over the, the world. And uh, I would come home and tell Jenny from trips about all these dishes and, and things like that that we, me and my colleagues would experience. Um, and uh, so we shared that a lot. We shared, you know, good food for our children. We take them out to uh, nice restaurants and try to get, you know, ever since they were little, trying to get them to appreciate good food as well. What did you grow up eating? Uh, pretty much meat and potatoes, you know, where um, that's the part of the country where... And casserole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of frozen casseroles and uh, lunch. That, there is no lunch. It's dinner and supper. And uh, so uh, you just, you, you learn to, yeah, I, I, you just really don't get exposed to a lot, a lot of meat and potatoes and... What's when, the difference between dinner and supper? Oh, for those yeah. of us who might not be too sure. Exactly. So, um, so far in, in uh, I think it's mostly a farming sort of a culture sort of thing where you work 12-hour days, you get up with the sunset and with shovel in your hand and uh, off you go, you know, to, to do whatever needs to be done. And, and by the time noon rolls around, you're just, you, you need fuel. So dinner is a, it's a bigger meal. And it's always served at the middle of the day. And supper is usually lighter. I mean, it's supper is kind of a normal, you know, dinner that you would have in, uh, in a metropolitan area. But, yeah, the lunchtime was the big deal. <laughs> and you call it dinner. Dinner, yeah. <laughs> Every time I go home to visit there, I get kind of confused by it, too. I have to step back in time. And, you know. um, so tell us about the process of starting the business. How did the two of you go from a career in tech to to starting a Cambodian food company. You know, um, I in in my last ten year working uh, in a biotech, I actually involved in FDA process, right? Food and drug, and we just like not the food part, but the the biotech drug part, and that and uh, also um, the fact that um, I learned from Ken's mom how to can food, and Cambodian doesn't can. We, we don't can food, we just go to the backyard and take it out and chop it. We don't even have refrigerator. So the concept of canning was very foreign to us. That, that's probably why you don't see many Cambodian shelf, you know, shelf stable product. But because of my experience of uh, working in the FDA environment and also learning to can food from my mother-in-law and cooking from my mother, I have this confidence that, you know, why aren't there Cambodian food out there? You know, that the shelf stable. And we had Cambodian cuisine has a uh, unique flavor that most people haven't even tried yet. So that gave me like the uh, confidence of, let's do something about it, right? And, and it helps me, uh, I started off with the hot sauce. And then my next product was lemongrass. That was the one that uh, received the uh, Award, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you actually brought the a little jar of the lemongrass paste in, and I mean, the aroma of it—it's really incredible. It's filling the whole studio. We opened it right before we started recording, before yeah. we turned on the mics, and I can still smell it 20 minutes later. Yeah, and you—you you know, I was reading that last month at the 65th IFMA Gala, you received the Food Service Innovation Award for this product, um, which is really incredible when you think about the other people who are in that room it's huge brands um like coca-cola mm -hmm. so i mean like 
it's pretty amazing that you um yeah that you have achieved like that much in the food industry kind of that quickly yeah so i think we we are very grateful for the opportunity to be in front to be to receive that award amongst other food giant industry and uh, it's just a good opportunity to be out there in front of food service industry uh, i you know myself unfortunately unfortunately was not able to participate in the award gala because i was uh, already have prior prior commitment to help uh, cooking food and fundraising for homeless in San, San Francisco, and I didn't want to let them down. So I sent him to, uh, Ken to... Uh, I got to go. I, I was the uh, <laughs> imposter, the Cambodian, you know, food <laughs> chef. But it, but it, it was the, the people at, at EFMA were just so gracious, and, um, you know, they're, they, they're look, they really appreciate innovation, and it was kind of like, supporting and excited to bring in some you know new ideas and share with these these food giants and um, uh, we're just really excited I mean not just with the retail size but having food service uh, customers and manufacturers that are interested in um, Cambodian food right in- including Cambodian food and they they would share with us that they're their customers, their consumers, the people that they serve food to they're more and more demanding of course right and partly because of food programs like this where they learn more about dishes they want to try, they want to experiment with different things. So um, Jenny's recipe and uh, the lemongrass paste seem to fit the bill for them. So we're excited. Well, to have gone, I mean, especially to have won this award without uh, a a full professional background in food. um, Can you tell us about that, the decision to to change careers, to to start this company? They're, um, they're both looking at each well, other, yeah, <laughs> I know. waiting for the other one. To <laughs> well, I think it again go back to uh, the 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 confidence or the feeling that why aren't Cambodian food out there? We have something to share, right? So, uh, and also related to mom and carry on her legacy. And I remember many. It's not that easy. But it was good, right? Not so that easy. To, not that easy to continue doing it because uh, when I told you about making the first batch of hot sauce, mm-hmm. uh, my I shared with my colleague, and my colleague want to buy, and I for for Christmas gift, and I said, now next time I'll make another batch. I'll give you a lot because now I know you like it. And she said, no, this is for a gift, so I had to buy it from you. So it spawned one thing after another, and. I start to make um, that hot sauce. And every weekend while I work as a uh, senior staff system engineering in the biotech industry, I have engineering report to me to get my responsibility to lead the project to develop new project for the company. Uh, On the weekend, I would get on the BART, go from uh, San Jose to San Francisco and stand in the ferry building and have people sample it and cross my finger that they would sample and every time somebody bought a job which is like a couple of dollars I got so excited and for many many weekends I would do that and I would get on the BART and every time I passed by uh, um, Washington Hospital where I would spend six weeks day in and day out take care of my mom when she was on intensive care I say my love to her so it was just very personal, 
and I do this for six years before we quit our career job and taking the food job uh, 100%. Um, and the 100% part in food is that um, one of the things that I was confident about beside the passion of carrying on my mom's legacy was every time I do demo, I have this table in front of the shop, and the shop owner is very supportive, and I put the sign say Cambodian food. And sometimes in the ferry building, it's so packed. People are like in the hallway, just packed back and forth. And many times people would just zoom into my uh, demo table, just not just not for the smell of the food, what the food looks like, but for the mere fact that we say Cambodian food. Mm -hmm. So that to me is like, we yeah, might that, find yeah. something here that people are hungry uh, for. Hungry for, yeah. It was motivational, right? You, you, you kind of put yourself out there and you know see what's going to happen. And many times they would ask Jenny, what else you got? What else can you do? And then we started trying different sauces and pastes and coming up with recipes and sharing things and um, started to get some more traction, you know, and, um, and, and I think in the beginning we weren't really sure if people were into Cambodian food that much because there really aren't that many restaurants. So um, It's hard. You know, I spend a lot of my time, uh, now that the product is done, I spend a lot of my time educating people what it's supposed to smell like, taste like, and how you prepare with this paste because... Yeah, it's just a, because the product's ready doesn't mean people are ready to use it. Mm -hmm. So I do things that anytime I can get in front of people to cook for them. <laughs> so we have like a private dinner, we have pop-up and... Uh, cooking classes? Cooking classes. And I, I even open my house for Airbnb experience. Oh. You know? And I show people how to cook it. At the end of the experience, they can taste the food and they can have a jar go back home to cook it. <laughs> oh, you, so you actually brought some stuff for us to taste. I don't know. Maybe we'll taste it during the break and then we can like I love tasting back. things into the microphone. I don't know if oh, people let's like, do that. I don't know if people like hearing us <laughs> eat things, but... Um, I'm <laughs> new to this, Ethan. All right, Tell well, me let's try. Well, let's... Uh, actually, on that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes. Uh, stay tuned. Okay. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's Rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's Rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Korsha Wilson, and I'm the host of A Hungry Society here on HRN. A Hungry Society focuses on highlighting dope people doing amazing work in food, and we talk about how we can make the culinary world a more diverse and inclusive space. 
You can join the conversation by checking out A Hungry Society wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we're back. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do the reintroduction because Valerie is eating amazing chicken that, that Chani and Kent brought for us. Um, it's so good. It's so good. I think I was just supposed to like try it, but I'm eating. Like, <laughs> I will leave some for you. Uh, thanks, thanks. <laughs> um, anyway, you're listening to Why Food. We're here with Chani and Kent Lauks, who are the uh, respectively chef and general manager of Encore Cambodian Foods. Um, we spent a lot of time in the first half of the interview talking about Cambodia and Cambodian food and the process of starting the company. Could you give us a, an overview of, of what is Cambodian food? What are some of the classic flavors, the classic dishes that you're you're now making yeah. uh, at Encore? So, uh, you know, if you ever go to like Cambodian house and you smell this aroma, most likely it involves lemongrass paste. And uh, we use lemongrass paste a lot in our cooking. We use it to marinate, to do stir fry, to steam fish bread, to make soup. Uh, you know, a, a lot of time you see like picture on Facebook, like Cambodian food group, and for the most part, it will involve lemongrass paste. And it, the lemongrass itself takes a lot of a lot of effort to prepare. And that was one of the reasons I decided to make lemongrass paste. It's like the it, it, essential ingredient to cook many Cambodian dishes. Uh, what, you know, what you taste in a paste is, for the most part, people probably familiar with the, uh, the organic ingredient, like lemongrass, galango, turmeric, a few lime leaf. But what's unique to lemongrass compared to other, like bordering country, like Vietnamese and Thais and even Burmese, uh, food is the proportion that we put in and the process of how we, you know, prepare those dishes, make each culture unique. And Cambodia definitely has some unique dishes that haven't been explored by many people. And we don't eat, uh, we, our sauce, our food is not so much spicy and also less sweet than most uh, other Southeast Asia food. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just need to echo that, like, this chicken marinated in this lemongrass paste was, like, so good. Um, I mean, I love, like, Southeast Asian food, and uh-huh. I'm probably less familiar with Cambodian food, but oh. now I'm going to be, like, looking for it. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to touch on something because, um, you know, I was just, like, reading online, and I saw that, you know, so your your memoir, Short Hair Detention, won an award from the state of Nebraska. And, you know, you made this really great comment about how even though, um, you know, you, you lived in Nebraska, you went to high school there, you went to college there, you weren't quite sure um, since you've now been living in San Francisco, like what exactly qualifies a Nebraskan yeah. and how, you know, you are sure that you're a U.S. citizen because mm-hmm. you've gone through the process. Right, right. Um, and I really loved that because it's kind of like, I don't know, I live in New York City. I've been here nine years. And I think I'm like, am I a New Yorker? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and right, it's like, right. who, Especially who, for people like, like us who was born in different parts of the world. And uh, to me, I remember when I submitted my book for a Nebraska Book Award, I wasn't sure that they're going to, 
I, I wasn't sure that I might qualify because I wasn't born in Nebraska. And um, uh, when I was accepted my book to be reviewed, there was a level of confidence that they did count me even though I wasn't born there. And then to receive the award, it was like, oh, so my experience outside of Nebraska and then spend the 10 years in Nebraska was part of Nebraska heritage, you know? And they, they see it that, that way, um, the organization that gave us this award. They see it that way so much that they, um, when they took my book and to be in a special collection of Nebraska author, you know, they call it Heritage Room. Um, it's like in the, a special room in the library that is lock up, I mean lock up, but special, you don't go there unless you have the permission to go mm-hmm. and have reason to go research it. And my book now is in that room, and I remember when I hear that, it was touch me. It touched me like I am part of you. You had accepted me, even though I told myself that, you know, I'm from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. A lot of time I, when people say, where are you from? You know, automatically I say I'm from Nebraska because I live in California. And then they look at me like, uh, <laughs> I said, okay, you want to know be, before then. Then it's like, I almost like give them a look like, yeah. why does it matter? Mm. <laughs> but I always count myself as Nebraska because I, that's how to me, uh, when I first, my first 10 years was in Nebraska. You know, I learned to love football and all that. So it was, um, it was like uh, I know another, acceptance. I know another reason why you're Nebraskan because... Uh, she would go when we were dating. She would go to the farm, and even at, you know after dating and married, she'd go to the farm, and and she would be the first one to jump in the truck with my dad and go do some errand <laughs> somewhere. I love uh, yeah, and you you also so. you're, you also married a Nebraskan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would, what, how would your kids answer that question? Where are they from? Oh, I I think they they think that they're from uh, California. <laughs> yeah, but we we took them to Nebraska every year, at least once a year. Um, it's hard to to see what they think, but they are very happy and uh, proud of just being part of uh, diversity in California. What do they think of of your decision to to leave a a good career in tech and, <laughs> oh, and start I a know, food business? Right? <laughs> They're like, Mom, are you sure? They think I think they think we're crazy. <laughs> they, you know what I, but I think they're proud too because uh, when we go to shows like la- last year when we came to the Summer Fancy Food Show here in New York City, they both came along and helped us in the booth. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. And so it was like they saw that yeah. they could see the interest in the crowd and they said maybe they're not crazy. You know, this is well that take a cool. while, but at the beginning it's almost like what are you doing? You know, and yet you know um, I I'm so yeah. I'm convinced that this is the right thing to do. At some point, I felt like I had to go back to work, but I'm not going back to the corporate world. I'm I'm going to go work at Costco or Whole Foods so I can learn from the experience and help building this new, you know, entity that I'm trying to build for. But now I think Kent's right. You know, uh, our son is uh, 25 years old and he's an actuary working for Blue Shield. And um, our daughter is the oldest one. He, she's 27, and she's getting her PhD from USC. But they still, every summer, they come here to help us uh, working the booth. <laughs> How do you think uh, the experience for them of watching their parents 
go through this entrepreneurial process to start the company. How do you think that has uh, shaped the way that they think about their careers? And also their heritage, uh, yeah. because I feel like, you know, like your identity as a Nebraskan, their, their identity as like Californians, but also like, you know, your daughter was like, I want grandma's hot sauce. Like yeah. it's this beautiful, like connection to their heritage yeah, also. Exactly. I think that, um, they, they, for example, simple thing, but still I'm very proud of what they become. Like, um, when I walk, you know, to place with Richard, uh, they're very generous and very supportive of people standing out there and trying to make a living. It doesn't matter what it is, you know, selling a bottle of water, sample this and sample that. And I think that they was very generous and very friendly to those because they see their mom doing that, you know. And even when I was doing demo, uh, while they were in school, they would come over uh, Christmas break and we would hit the ferry building because I have uh, Christmas break also, and we wouldn't go on vacation. Both Natasha and I would just stand in the ferry building trying to move the product for the yeah. shop. Uh, and then after Christmas, we you know, take vacation together. But ever since I started uh, making the cooking paste and sauce, both of them, every time, they never, uh, we never had to worry that they embarrass or anything. Because mm -hmm. it's so easily be embarrassed when you're young, you know. Your your parents uh, used to be leading a group of engineers now standing in front of the shop asking for sample for people right. to sample, right? right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, tell us how the business has changed since those early days mm -hmm. sampling the product at the Ferry Building in San Francisco to to where it is today. Well, it's um, I I think it's uh it has. Uh, the the different awards that we received, it uh, gave me um, confidence that there's other things that we should introduce to um, to the American palates. You know, like uh, some of the Cambodian spices and sausages that we crave for, grow up with. You know, I couldn't wait to try those and introduce that, and also. Um, I was happy that when I started this product, the reason it took me a long time to get it in the jar, uh, not so much about not confident, but I'm too pick, I'm, I'm very picky about what go in there. So if you look at the ingredient in the paste right now, it's very clean, it's all natural. Um, for example, even like citric acid, I refuse to put citric acid in my food because it's not something that I can see in my kitchen. And we'll go to, um, you know, spend a lot of time pick and choose the ingredient. I refuse to use the dry ingredients, and uh, I think because of that, when we won the award, we were automatically um, uh, feasible into the food service arena because it's efficient, it's clean, easy to use. Uh, it's efficient because um, it's very concentrated, so you don't have to pack a whole quantity to marinate something. And part of it is because lemongrass is a kind of spice that it's good, but you don't want to use too much. So I actually control that by adding you know, the flavor in there that's very concentrated so people won't use too much of it. Yeah, and it has, I mean, so like the, the little like 
the marinated chicken we tried, it it's kind of still lingering. It has mm. this nice like, yeah, you know, like lingering flavor that I'm still enjoying. <laughs> like, 15 minutes later. Yeah. What have been some of the the biggest challenges, the biggest obstacles, the hardest things to do in in building this business? I, I think it's, um, I guess maybe you could categorize them like growing pains. You know, how do you get from like what Jenny was describing of demoing and moving a very small volume to um, having um, partners and supply chain that can actually um, deliver uh, quality product and um, shipping and fulfillment warehouse. Um, all of those things have, I guess they're just natural progressions, but, um, but there's, there's been, um, you know, some, some of them were hard lessons learned, you know, and you just kind of got to power on, you know, and encourage each other and, and how, how do we get through a particular challenge, you know, and then, and then move forward. But, um, I think some of, um, we've met some terrific people and we've learned some lessons that we would say, oh, we'll never do that, that step again. Can you share one of those? <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what, what so, lessons can maybe some other entrepreneurs can learn from? You know, it's, uh, and, and it's hard. It, I can, I can really, um, empathize for everyone that's, that goes through this cause you gotta have backups, you know, for, for partners that you think you can count on. Right. And things can change in their organization that you don't have access to. Right. So you, it's like, you always have to have a backup. And yeah, Ethan's it, nodding his head. Oh I, I bet you've yeah. experienced we, this. We're actually, we're going through, I have a spice business. company. We're going through, anyway, our glass jar supplier ran out and can't get more. And so for six weeks, we've been scrambling to find it. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it seems like the simplest part of the supply chain. We're sourcing yeah. from, you know, small farms in 11 countries. Like Zanzibar. That, yeah, that works fine. But this <laughs> yeah. stupid, stupid <laughs> jar that we put the spices in, it's, we can't we can't get them. Anyway, yes. It's exactly exactly the yeah. same sort, of, sort simple, of thing. And, but and, yeah, but I mean, yeah, but you wouldn't really anticipate is. that, like, glass is glass. And right, they can, right. you know, they can crank them yeah. out. But it's it that happens. We had um, last year, similarly, um, we were at our glass supplier was fine, but the lid supply was out. And we're like, what? How can you make glasses? So basically, and, like, have a backup for each thing because yes. you never know. Yeah. That is really, yeah. that is very yeah. good in advice. life, too, Thank I think, you. maybe. Oh. Have, have backups, have re- <laughs> build, build redundancies. In yeah, your, that's in getting, that's getting a little deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some it's other, like, some other uh, pieces of advice that you would share with aspiring or early stage food entrepreneurs? I, I think the, um, you know, some, some, my answer is kind of baked into what Jenny was just saying on being, being very, uh, particular about your process. If you work with some partner or as you're growing and you're working with some, you know, factory or packer somewhere and they try to get you to change, that's, you know, warning sign, no matter how much they say they're an expert or something, you, mm. it's your product, mm-hmm. right? So you should listen to them and learn. You might learn something new, but uh, yeah. our, our, you know, usually we know best, I think, right? Because we know and what the product needs to taste like when it's done. And when we formulate our uh, recipes that, that we share with our customers, like how do you use a product? Right? You don't, you, then you're like, well, now you got to redo all those recipes and maybe it's probably not going to taste like grandma's, you know, when you're done. So. And I think the other thing for me is um, it's not that always rosy story, but don't give up. You know, just keep at it. No, don't give up too, too quickly. Because uh, especially if you're managing the risk, you know, the different steps that you uh, eliminate those risks and have backup and all that, 
you had already built an infrastructure that you know maybe this sauce won't make it, but all the process you had done already, it should be something else. Yeah, and and surrounded yourself with people who really believe in you, because uh, family probably not a good one. <laughs> yeah. no, that, that's a really great takeaway. Like somehow, like balance, like being authentic and listening to yourself and believing in yourself and yeah. like not get I mean I I'm not like in the food manufacturing business but mm-hmm. I that is so like relevant to what I'm doing right now also so yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of like universally ap- applicable that, yeah that's so true especially when it's come to food you know uh my uh like you know my brother was saying what the heck are you doing you know it's <laughs> like you know, I almost embarrassed him because I was like leading a group of engineers and he's so proud of and all of a sudden I'm becoming a hot sauce lady <laughs> it's like, but it's like okay I just you just have to stand back you know and you have to go with it go with what you believe yeah. in the last few minutes of the interview we we're going to pivot to our Rapid fire, fun, light uh, question segment. So I guess we can we can ask <laughs> well, the question alternate, and alternate. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Or yeah. Uh, Valerie, you want to start? Oh, sure. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll start um, with Chani. Um, what is your favorite American food to eat? Steak. Oh, <laughs> prime rib. That's like such a great Midwest answer. <laughs> I love that. How, how do you like your steak cooked? Medium rare. Good, yeah, classic. Yeah, medium bread. Nebraska and raised you well. No yeah. steak sauce. Just medium bread, salt and pepper, and just, let uh, me just chew on it. <laughs> uh, well, so Kent, what's your favorite Cambodian food? Oh, um, you know what? It's probably the the kring, the lemongrass paste. But the, and there's so many recipes that that it uh, works well with. I'm gonna have to go with the Cambodian curry, which mm. is it uses the lemongrass paste as its as a base ingredient. And uh, Cambodian curry powder, the flavor, the, the it's it smells like a curry, right? But it's not so forward, right? It's not it's not so very strong, and it's just so savory. When she when she uh, when Chani makes it with uh, little deep fried potatoes, oh, that's it. Oh wow! Yes, yeah. please. Oh, I just like <laughs> I felt that. So that's that my mom make uh, curry. She. Even before I know what French fry is, she actually do French fry, but in a cube. <laughs> this is all in Cambodia. She deep fry them. She put it aside. She make the roux with the curry and lemongrass, and then add the California chili powder until it's all you know become like aromatic and this and that. And the next thing you know, it's like it's completely different than any curry you try. Yeah. Wow. Stop by, cool. I'll make some for you. <laughs> Next time hey. we're in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. right. You should. If you could master any skill overnight, what would that skill be? You could both take this, or one of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tag team. Yeah. I don't know if this is really a skill. Maybe like a superpower? Or sure, superpower. Super- that was going to be a different question, but let's oh. go. Yeah, ahead. let's do it. Let's go okay. now. Uh, definitely anti-gravity. Mm. Yeah, that, would, that what, would be it. What would you do with your anti-gravity power? I th- I think you know there's uh I would just feel liberal. I could what couldn't I do? Right? I mean it's like I I could every, the sky's the limit at that point. Could go no anywhere. pun intended. Yeah. yeah. Like literally. <laughs> <laughs> Channing, what about you? What would your superpower be? Um I want to make sure that I have food enough for everybody in the world. No no children, no nobody should go to bed being hungry. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we get a, a, we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the podcast, and transportation is uh-huh. often the superpower that people oh. go to. So it's so nice to hear somebody <laughs> have a, a truly altruistic yeah. uh, superpower. We're in the food, right? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, favorite ice cream flavor? I don't know if they still have it, but I love Rocky uh, Rocky. What's it? Rocky, Rocky Road? Road? Rocky Road. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... But like, I could... Rocky Road and pecan butter. Oh, yes. Maybe butter... Pe- flavor? Butter pecan. Butter pecan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that those are like flavors from the 90s because <laughs> those are the flavors I remember growing uh, up. And my favorite one is also disappearing, which is chocolate chip cookie dough. Mm. You just can't... Mm. You can't find these flavors yeah. anymore. I yeah. know. Yeah. Um, what's the... One of the best meals you've ever had for say under five or ten dollars it's a a tough question (laughs) yeah Yeah, i know right you said they go to a lot of fancy restaurants (laughs) i'm i'm thinking i still love spam Spam? (laughs) i still love spam how do you spam breakfast how do you cook spam I just slice it about like a centimeter thick yeah and just pan fry until it's brown it's good haven't had that for so long just spam and orange juice and coffee. <laughs> Breakfast of champions. No. <laughs> I, I'd have to true. say uh, some. There, there's a, a few uh, famous dumpling shops in Shanghai, right? And it's probably the Yang's Fried Dumpling. What, mm. what makes a good dumpling for you? Um, well, these these particular ones are just large, and they they basically are, have soup inside with with uh, the meat filling. Um, and they're pan fried as well, so really crispy on one side, <clears throat> sesame seeds on top. So yeah. um, they're maybe the best dumplings in the world. Wow! Yeah. All right. Kitchen, you. Yeah. Ut- oh, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, go oh, ahead. kitchen utensil you can't live without. Oh boy, I use a lot of chopstick. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. Different oh. different sizes or shapes. Difference. What's your What's your like your favorite cho- set of chopsticks? Uh, the long one. The one like two feet long. Yeah. <laughs> I've never then, then you can knows. steal food from other people's plates. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought for sure she was gonna say scale because she weighs everything. Oh wow! Oh, is that like the background and like that's the background the in science and mathematics? Everything's down to the gram. Where's my scale? Right? I gotta. I can't make I, this right. I have a pop up. I carry scale with me. Right? Oh, sharp knife and scale. I'll drop. You know, and I actually buy sets of sharp knife, cheap, mm-hmm. but they're really easy to work with in mm-hmm. shop. Every time I go to a different part of the country cooking, I take one with me and I don't have to carry it back. But it's really that good. Do you, what's your What's your knife brand? What knife do you uh, recommend? The, the the one that I had and keeping you know with me all the time. I can't even pronounce the name, but it's a Japanese one. What's it called, Ken? Do you remember oh, the name? Oh, those heavy K- ones. But Sorry, the but the ones you're talking about are they're I think it's a Kiwi brand or something. the one that I use all the time. Oh, those little Thai the style or Kiwi maybe, brand. Yeah, 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 it's like a little wooden handle, kind of a yes. rectangular uh-huh. shaped blade. So you use you don't have to shop it, just leave you know, it in the hole. Yeah, I have one in my <laughs> knife drawer at home. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> exactly, and, yeah, and Jenny runs into chefs all the time. And say, oh, you use the same knife as I do in the shop. So it's a you know, <laughs> it's for all of us. Yeah, <laughs> it's easy to shop. It's you know. Like, yeah, inexpensive. It, inexpensive. Yeah. You forget it someplace. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, where can our listeners find your products and find out more about you and, and your story? Where can they find the book? Oh, uh, the book, I had the book on my website. Actually, it's combined with oncofood.com. 
uh, also in um, Amazon. Amazon. Yes, on Amazon. Uh, and your website, Encore Food, A N G K O R Food.com. Yes. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. And then um, in the city, in Manhattan, here, oh, yeah. it's in uh, uh, Calustians, has it? Uh, Hudson's and Charles um, at both of their locations. Um, online, uh, Amazon, uh, Kroger. Kroger Online, mm-hmm. um, our, our site um, has it. And so, quite a number of shops in uh, the West Coast as well. And um, yeah, so, so growing. And uh, do you have a social media presence where people can follow you? Yeah, we have Uncle Food in, uh, in Instagram. And I have my, yeah. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I think they're all Encore Food. Um, <laughs> so you can follow, follow us there. And, uh, but if you want to focus on the book part of it, I have my own website, Chani Chi Lao, on Would Instagram and Twitter. C H A N N Y C H H I and L A U X. Great. Well, thank you both for joining us. Um, thank thank you. you. As Thanks. always, you can reach us via our email, whyfood at heritageradionetwork.org, uh, via our social media, whyfoodpodcast on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we're also wrapping up a Heritage Radio Network fundraising drive. So much fun. Um, so if you like listening to our show, if you like listening to all of the other great shows on Heritage Radio Network, uh, please visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Um, it's not a mystery. You know what to do. Uh, heritageradio.org slash donate. And if you donate 500 bucks, I will um, put together a, a spice set for you, customized to your cooking, uh, your cooking style and flavor profile. Um, so $500, you know, no big deal, whatever. Uh, visit the website, heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Um, I'm Ethan Frisch. You can reach me uh, via my spice company, Ethan at burlapandbarrel.com, burlapandbarrel on Instagram. And I'm Valerie Lomas. You can find me at foodie in New York on all over social website, all the same. Thanks to (laughs) Amanda, our awesome sound engineer for today's episode and uh, to uh, the red crickets for our theme song, which is called blind. See you next week. Thank you. We were face to face and back to my back. Went to a place that only I can know. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the food world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.